Hey, my name's Emma. Hey, my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Pilots Pandemic Podcast. You're here with your host, Emma, and our beautiful co-host, Maddie. What's up, everyone? And this week, we are joined by a special guest, Cam Majd. Thank you, Cam, so much for joining us. Cam is an incredibly accomplished man. He is an Edgar-winning nominated author of a character-driven novel, Edge of Your Seat Suspense novel i'm sorry i'm just stumbling over my words and he has also climbed in and out of cockpits for over 44 years 35 of which have been at american airlines which is very near and dear to my heart um as many of our listeners probably know that is one of the airlines that my father and my uncle both flew for so your most recent position was in a boeing as a triple seven captain and you were born in iran and you were educated around the world in india england and the united states you now live with your wife Lori in southern california with your two daughters megan and sydney nearby you have a wonderful beautiful life full of a lot of stuff that I'm excited to talk to you about today Cam thank you so much for joining us thank you guys thank you for having me I'm excited to be here I'm Maddie yeah so as everyone listening knows Cam if you're it's your first time here so typically at the top of the show we always ask our guests because it's always very interesting the answers that you'll get is how did you get into aviation and where did that passion begin for you um, you know, like most people, it's one of those things. I like to say it's in your blood, you know, even though I've uh, checked my blood, I haven't found it in it. Um, but there's uh, really, I mean, just ever since we were just children, uh, you know, every time I saw an airplane, I was looking at the sky to see what it was like. I was always just fascinated by anything that, uh, you know, had to do with airplanes. So when the opportunity came to, um, to fly in one, this was in 1978, I was a bartender at TGI Fridays back when it was a you know a good place to go to long before you guys were born. Um, it was uh, uh, a fellow bartender got his pilot's license and and he said one day this was in in Texas, little bitty airport, Redbird Airport, and then he said, hey, do you want to go fly in an airplane? And I couldn't believe what he was saying. You know, I can actually go fly in a little airplane. So he took me out there. It was a cold winter day and uh, scared the heck out of me. And by the time it landed, you know, 45 minutes later, I was just just in love. I said, this is what I have to do. And uh, and that's kind of how it started. I just used tip money and learn how to fly, you know, an hour here, an hour there. It wasn't the most efficient way to do it, but, uh, you know, whatever whatever it took. And um and then this just got, you know, several licenses. It, it took me a while to get my private pilot's license because, you know, it's just one of those things that you did. You're not committed to it. You know, you do it just as money and time allows. 
but then at some point within the next, you know, a couple of years, I decided that I really just enjoyed this. I wanted this to be my career. So then, then I went out to a bank. I took out a, you know, a personal loan here. Uh, by then, I was in Southern California. I transferred with Fridays out here, and um, and I got the next eight or nine licenses in the next twelve months. I just just flew my butt off, you know, uh, five days a week, seven days a week, some days twice, you know, and uh, and got got everything else. And then before I knew it, I was uh, I was certified and everything. And then it was time to get a job. Of course, back then, um, you know, the only thing you could do, this was, you know, in the early 80s by now, uh, they're really, you know, because of deregulation and all the airlines that were folding, you know, and, and, and going backwards, you know, Pan Am, uh, Eastern, Braniff, uh, you know, these were old airlines, great names, but they went out of business. So they had a lot of pilots in the street. So there was no jobs to be had, you know, uh, you could maybe try and get a job as a flight instructor, uh, but even that really was not, you know, there was a bunch of flight instructors and not enough students. Nobody wanted to get into the business. Yeah. And so I was in a place called Martin Aviation. It was a big uh, a flight school in Orange County. That's where I'd gotten all my licenses. And uh, I was walking out the door one day to go back and, you know, attend my shift at Fridays as a bartender. And the guy who came in, it looked kind of Middle Eastern looking. I said, hey, what are you doing here? Uh, you know, I said, I'm, I'm here to learn to fly. I said, where are you from? He said, Iran. I said, you go in there, you tell those guys you need somebody who speaks Farsi, you know, as a flight instructor. So I went to TGI Fridays that night, tending bar, swinging whiskey, as we always did. There's a phone call that said, hey, can you start tomorrow morning? You know, there's a guy here that wants, you know, someone that only speaks Farsi. And that was it. The rest is history. And, but um, I think that was like, <laughs> more, more than your, your question was, but the, the short answer to that version is, is really you just love flying. You just, and, and it's in you, regardless of culture or language, some people are just attracted to certain things. And, and I know a lot of pilots are just, they love the, the thought of flying, being around flying, something about the third dimension, perhaps. <laughs> and, and, Probably. <laughs> I love that story. I think um, we all have to start somewhere. And I love that for you, it was someone in your workplace that had said, hey, let's go flying. Because um, as an aircraft owner, now that I have my own plane, one of the funnest things for me is being like, hey, do you guys want to go flying? Have you ever gone flying in a small plane? And most of the people that I've talked with or spoken with have not gone flying in a small plane. And I really do love like, igniting that passion or even just showing a normal person that they can fly like uh, I just recently took my friend up and I was like you're gonna sit in the front and she's like why and I was like I just want to I want to show you like that you have the ability to fly because I think a lot of people it doesn't even cross through their mind that they could fly one day too um so I really love that your uh co-worker was able to do that for you and then as you were talking about your journey I was like wow you flew back in the in the 80s how much was it like as a flight lesson back then like how much did you have to pay to go flying for like an hour or two uh airplane was 25 bucks an hour for 150 and if you wanted to do like a you know cherokee 161 or something that's just a slight bit bigger maybe 35 dollars an hour and instructors were 15 dollars an hour um now wow. I, haven't, I haven't priced these out lately but I'm, I'm assuming it's a little bit more than that probably um 
but you know, it's one of the things that I wanted to point out. What what you said, uh, you know, that did you ask your friends to, hey, do you want to go fly on an airplane today? Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Like so many things in this country, we take for granted. Uh, this is very much an American thing. You know, you can't be, you know, a, a citizen of, you know, Jordan and saying, hey, dude, you want to go fly in my little airplane? It just doesn't happen. You know, uh, even in Europe, Western Europe, you know, England is so much, you know, more rare and less accessible to the, to the average person because of cost, the number of airports available, etc. Uh, so to just be able to say, hey, do you want to go fly and, and grab somebody and, you know, drive 10 miles because there'll certainly be an airport within that distance and it's just something that's very very american and uh, and it's very cool it is so wonderful to be able to do that and, and for me you know it changed my life that that one day yeah i think that's something that i also forget is that um in the united states like our freedom to fly like just thinking of just even class g airspace like that is kind of unheard of in other areas of the world um and it really is amazing to have like just that freedom of flight um to be like hey i want to go fly today i'm just gonna go and and you don't even have to talk to anyone so yeah the freedom of it the availability i mean you know you walk around airports i mean you know there's always some flight school someplace you you know look online you go anywhere i mean anybody can sit down you know at lunch and two hours later decide you know i want to go fly and within two hours be sitting in an airplane somewhere uh, you know, little airplane. That just that is just not something that's available in this world, you know. And I can say that because I have lived, you know, in, in, in three different continents, you know, in, you know, five, seven different countries, and it's just it's it's so unique to America, and it is just something that, you know, it's it's important to be to be thinking about. We're very lucky to have that that fortune to be able to do that here. Something that is just not available. I have, um, this is not a scripted question, but I, I did wonder since you are, like you said, you've, you've lived in different countries and you are from a different country. What did your family think of you becoming a pilot? Was that like a pretty big deal? Um, yes. So it's, it's, a and all of it was a big deal to, to be a pilot. You know, I mean, most people don't even understand what that was. Uh, you know, what do you mean you're going to be a pilot? You know, I mean, I thought that was just done, you know, to certain people, you know, from military background or something like that. Uh, but to just be able to sit down and, uh, and then explain to them. And then, you know, eventually I've taken, you know, uh, a lot of my family on, on planes, you know, um, and they're just fascinated by it. Something about airplanes. I mean, everybody's fascinated by it. Everybody likes it. Now, some people a lot more than others, you know, but this is not, you know, it's not one of those jobs where, you know, people go, oh, yeah, that's what you do. Uh, yeah. You know, when, when you are a pilot and when you're, you know, start to share some stories, there's always a, you know, there's always few people that will gather around you in a crowd, you know, and want to know how that works. So it was very unusual, very weird. Uh, especially for people, you know, that are that are essentially, you know, immigrants. I mean, you're just trying to make it, you know, and by make it, I mean, you know, to just be able to live a normal life. And, you know, being a pilot, an airline pilot, you know, was for me anyhow, it was pretty extraordinary. So um, it's been a hell of a ride. I'll, I'll, I'll say that I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to have it any other way. Well, I also think that you've definitely had an amazing ride just of the small things that we've talked about, but um, 
leaning back to just you going and working at American Airlines, how has how did that happen? Like, did you go from flight instructor and then straight to American Airlines or did you go to a regional? Like kind of what was that career path for you? So it started in the early 80s. And as I pointed out, because of the regulation and because of all the layoffs and the economy and so on, there was just a glut of pilots, unlike what it is today with the, with the you know pilot shortage. Uh, and so what you did, what I did, was what most people did. I mean, you couldn't just go and get even a job as a commuter. You couldn't get a job anywhere. So you did what you had to do. I started as a flight instructor, and, uh, and I got very busy very quickly. And I became known as the guy that you gave, you know, your troubled students to. Uh, so people that just didn't want other people, my schedule filled up within a couple of weeks, uh, you know, full every day. So I was very fortunate with that. But uh, then after that, essentially, you know, after about six or eight months, I, I, you know, uh, you know, I actually full full year, uh, I decided that it's time to move on to bigger things, and you know, you needed to have, uh, uh, you know, bigger equipment, faster equipment, jet equipment instead of uh, reset. and so I just got up and started going anywhere around the country where there was a job. You know, I started off with, you know, Zantop Airlines, which was, you know, something that's not around anymore, uh, you know, for a very, you know, brief period. Um, you know, and then uh, as, a, as a flight engineer in, in DC-6s and Electras, which I didn't get to complete because, you know, a lot went on over there. But then from there, I went to Texas, uh, you know, worked for an outfit called Alpha Aviation, flew uh, right seat and King Gears and Learjets. They were looking for you know, warm bodies, essentially. Great company, great people. Um, then from there, I, I, you know, my family was coming back out here. So I flew out, you know, I came out to California, but there was no jobs. So then again, I went around. I went to, you know, Kenosha, Wisconsin. I started flying Lear just out there, um, you know, all in the right seat. And eventually came back to an outfit in uh, California out of Van Nuys Airport called National Jet Charter. And by now I had time in the right seat of some Lears and some Kingers and you know, um, turboprop stuff. So they allowed me to sit in the right seat. And I did that for about six months or a year. And then I, I went in one day and I said, listen, there's an opening. Uh, somebody went to the airlines. There was an opening. I said, you know, I want that opening. I want that captain job. So uh, give me five hours in the left seat. I will pay for it. You can deduct that from my paycheck. You know, uh, I will pay for those five hours. But then after that, put me with any check airman you want, the hardest check airman you want. If I pass, then make me your lowest paid captain. And then if I don't pass, then what do you got to lose? <laughs> you know, as I'm sitting there talking to the uh, owner of the operation in front of me, the director of ops, you know, is sitting to the other side, listening to this conversation. I can see from this corner of my eye, just shaking his head. You know, we don't do that kind of stuff. And I'm trying to say, just shut up. Let me make my, you know, let me make my pitch. Uh, got a call later on that night. Guy said, if you're crazy enough to do it, we'll let you do it. So I went in, got my five hours, passed the check ride, became the lowest point captain, paid captain for National Jet Charter. And then um, I got a call that says their insurance company is saying, what are you, crazy? We're not going to insure this guy, you know, with five hours of training. He needs to go to a full school. So after all of this was over, um, you know, I I, uh, I had to go to a full school, you know, and 
So I did that for a year. And then by now, this was, you know, we're, we're approaching mid 80s, 85, 86. The airlines were starting to hire the, the airlines that had managed to stay in business. And actually, I got multiple offers, you know, and um, uh, Continental Airlines called, uh, you know, United was calling, you know, and but I really wanted to go with American Airlines. And uh, and so I went back and forth and did the whole interviews and I held these guys back. I didn't turn any of the jobs down, but I really wanted American Airlines. I mean, I, I, I don't know, something about there was just cool. You know, yeah. the paint job back then was shiny and you know, brilliant. They had a West Coast base. They went international. They flew all kinds of stuff. Lots of flying to Hawaii. And uh, and it was just a dream job. And so I went there and, uh, you know, I went to Dallas. Uh, and and they sent me a letter, you know. Uh, in fact, uh, it wasn't even the letter. They, uh, I was so anxious to know what the outcome, the result was. You know, I kept calling and bugging the HR people. Uh, you know, did I get a job? Did I get a job? And finally, the lady says, you know, uh, the letter is on its way to you. And I said, well, you mean to tell me, you know, what the answer is, but you're not going to tell me? She said, <laughs> she saw me just torturing myself. She said, oh, you got it. You know, <laughs> needless to say, uh, there was a lot of screaming going on that afternoon. Dude, that's awesome. I love like hearing that. It reminds me a lot of like my dad's beginning and that whole generation and era of aviation was so different from what it is now. And it makes you really like, even what you were saying before, how accessible aviation is within the States, it really does make you appreciate that. Like now more than ever, I feel like there's so much opportunity and so many ways to get into aviation and become an airline pilot. Um, not to say that there are people with less resource, but it is still so much of it, more of a straight line journey. Um, my dad kind of did a similar route. Like he flew for a really small company. I think it was called like Wheeler or something. And he had so many stories about his Wheeler days, but he started as a flight engineer and worked his way up. Um, And it was a, sh it was a hustle. It was a hustle. He always tells me about his like box craft Mac and cheese days um, were a huge era of his aviation journey. So it's interesting to hear you talk about it. Uh, it absolutely is. I mean, my, my, I feel for him. I can just totally picture him doing that. You know, it really was not this environment where, um, you know, there's a pilot shortage. And, and if you just go through the route, if somebody wants to be a pilot right now, it is the perfect time. Yeah, it is the best time to be able to do it. You're, you're guaranteed a job, you know, and you're going to make a ton of money off the bat. Uh, you know, when I started doing it with American Airlines, the B scale had just been invented. And I don't know, you guys are probably too young to know about that, but Essentially, they said, you know, they made a deal with the pilots union that said we will expand as long as the people that we can bring in get paid essentially like half of what everybody else does, you know, for a period of five years. And after five years, you didn't go back to normal. So I mean, for five years, I made, you know, my first year in America, I made twenty two thousand dollars, you know, second year it went whopping up to twenty three. You know, and then maybe to 25 or 27. It was it was terrible. I mean, you yeah. walk in now, you can make a quarter of a million dollars in your first year. 
Yeah, yeah. The, the tables have truly turned to think about it too. It, even when my husband was working at a regional back in, this is 2012. So this is not even, this is a decade ago, but still he was only making about 35 at a regional and now you're making over double that. And even as a new newly minted commercial pilot, you can skip the regionals now and just go straight to mainline. It's quite insane how how much it has changed. It, it's crazy. It, it really is. Uh, and, and, you know, God bless him. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled for those people who are able to take advantage of it. Uh, but, yeah, the environment is, is, is something else. Um, you know, pilot shortage. They talked about pilot shortage 30 years ago, 40 years ago. But it never happened. Uh, I mean, there was, you know, literally for every 50 people out there, there was one job, you know, and especially as, like I said, those other good airlines went out of business. You know, Pan Am had a lot of pilots, Braniff, Eastern. These guys had lots and lots of pilots that were out there in the streets, you know, uh, but that's that's not the case. So the regulation then, then hit and in the 1980, starting about 84, 85, the airline started to hire with a fury, you know, uh, all the way to about 92 for seven, eight years. Uh, so everybody hired at the same time. And now, given, you know, the fact that we have a 65, age 65, uh, you know, retirement, mandatory retirement age. Uh, so everybody now is retiring at the same time. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden <laughs> you're going, you know, if they hired, you know, a thousand pilots a month or some, you know, crazy number that way. You know, back then, now they're retiring a thousand pilots a month. Mm. And it's just that much more difficult to train, you know, because you got to imagine when you hire a, a brand new pilot or when, when, you know, a pilot retires, I retired as a triple seven captain. You know, that's that's the top of American Airlines. But when I retired, you know, somebody had to take my job and then somebody had to take the next job of the person who left that and so on down the chain. So for every job that's created, you know, for every 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 senior individual that leaves the airline, five or six people have to be trained on new equipment uh, because all of these seats change. You know, can you imagine, you know, the work that takes? So 1,000 pilots a month, that's really you're training 6,000 pilots a month. You know, it's just, you know, pilots are not, you know, this is not an easy thing to train for. So it, it, it's, it's, been, it's been educational. Got gut issues? Because Emma and I sure do. I have an issue with high sugar foods and anything with added preservatives, and Emma has a whole ass gluten intolerance. So we struggle with finding tasty treats, but thank the heavens for Abby Nola because it has been a lifesaver when we want a sweet treat fix without all the gut bombs that high gluten foods like cookies and cakes give us. Abby Nola has a chocolate granola that is made with lupini beans, so it's gluten-free and only has one gram of sugar, leaving our sweet tooth satisfied and our tummies feeling perfectly fine. You guys, you can head over to abby-foods.com or the Instagram account at abby-foods-co for your granola fix turned tasty treat fix. You'll also find all kinds of recipes to try out, so you'll get never get bored with Abinola. Use code PILOTSPANDEMIC for 15% off your order of Abinola. So you have to understand, airlines were, were you know, they were rigged up forever. I yeah. mean, prior to this pilot shortage, for the last, you know, 75 years, 
I mean, you, you hire a few people and a few people retire and you give them a cake and they go out the door, you know, and then somebody else comes in. It, it, this is an industry now. I mean, this is, this is you know, this, this is, it's a conveyor belt. You know, people are leaving so rapidly. You know, in LA alone, we, you know, uh, just one of the smaller bases that American Airlines has, you know, so just American Airlines and just LA, you know, they were losing, you know, 15, 20, 30 pilots a month. Oh. You know, uh, how do you replace that, you know, in one place? So when an airline is, you know, is, is, is sized up to be able to train X number of people and then all of a sudden, you know, then, then worse things happen like COVID, you know, COVID, during COVID, American Airlines was losing something like 40 or $50 million per day. That's, you know, $2 million an hour, uh, you know, around the clock you know, uh, for a year or two. And so when that happens, I mean, you know, you, you cut back, you got to cut back expenses on all that. So these guys went from that to nothing, you know, and not just, just the airlines, they're traffic controllers. I mean, you know, the, the, the baggage handlers, I mean, anybody in the travel industry just went back and then boom, you know, COVID is over. And now you got this, this people coming in, you know, into the airplanes with vengeance you know, like before, and just the the high and lows of that, you know, just the ability to be able to cope with that, just the number of instructors that you need, you know, the, the simulators, just hotels, you know, at any given time, you know, American Airlines is, I don't know how many, you know, 10,000 rooms, you know, around the world, uh, you I know. That's something I've never even thought about. It's just like, like, these are things that I've never even considered, even though it's, it's so true. Like, I just don't know how I've never even thought about that before. Oh my God. And when you think about it that way, oh, it's like we were talking about earlier. We had a conversation earlier. It, aviation is truly like, it looks like this really calm, smooth water. And then you peer underneath and it's just a lot going on, a lot of murk um, and a lot of moving wheels. Oh, imagine that. Yeah. And then you throw in some elements to it. You throw in, you know, you throw in a thunderstorm, you throw in a hurricane, you know, a um, hurricane moves through Miami, one of America's, uh, you know, biggest bases or thunderstorm and they close DFW for just two hours, four hours. That's all it takes to destroy, you know, destroy the airline for yeah. weeks and months to come. Because imagine you know, uh, airplane that was supposed to come in, it had, you know, it's got another two, three, five legs that it has to follow. And if it's going to be late here, it's going to be late in all of those following legs. And if it's late in all those following legs, you know, from Dallas, Dallas is closed for three hours. It's got to still go somewhere else, get fuel, come back to Dallas. Then it's going to go from there to Chicago, to Raleigh, whatever. You know, all of those are going to be late. And when it gets to Chicago three or four hours late, those people aren't ready for it because it's not a part of their schedule. And then while you're doing all of that, you know, they don't have enough fuel to take care of it, catering, hotel rooms, pilot duties, flight attendant duty times. You know, I've now spent an extra three or four hours in the cockpit. I can't do the last leg or the last two legs. How are you going to bring it? Be, it's a nightmare, you yeah. know, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to deal with. And they have said, in fact, if there was a way, if there was a way, you know, by through magic that, you know, any major airline, you know, American Airlines could, today could move all of its aircraft where it needs to have them, you know, instead of where it's forced to have them due to all of these uncontrollable reasons, that it was the biggest money-making thing that they could do. 
you know, like we have this airplane over there, not because it needs to be there, but because that's how it worked out because of weather, mechanical, you know, uh, failure, you know, uh, you know, some kind of a, you know, crew manning, you know, issue or something. Uh, so yeah, just running an airline, it is the, the moving parts are mind boggling. And if you ever get a chance to go out and I think you guys can as tourists go into say a dispatch department of, of American airlines or any of the majors, uh, it is mind-boggling. It literally is the size of a football field with thousand people inside. You know, and just and you can see pictures of it on YouTube, I'm sure, somewhere. But uh, yeah. wow, the moving parts are amazing. It's it kind of so we're gonna kind of get into like the stressors and kind of the mental health aspect, but it really does like I'm glad you touched on all of that because it is a good reminder to think about you know. Aviation is really, and especially within the airline industry, it there's obviously so much glam. And yes, you love it. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. You have the best view from your office ever, but it is stressful. Like just hearing you talk about all those moving parts, I'm stressed. So <laughs> I can't, you know, I, I empathize for people who are working all these different jobs and keeping these wheels turning. It is like definitely, truly like its own beast aviation. So yeah, thank you for expanding on that. But I wanted to talk a little bit more about your book. As I mentioned, you're an author. So can you share with us a little synopsis of about your book and why you chose a woman as your lead? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so High Wire is a story of uh, of technology and just the human spirit, if I like to call it that. It begins with flight 394 in this last, uh, you know, last five minutes of landing in a blizzard condition at Kennedy Airport. And, uh, and when the aircraft uh, does not respond to the captain's command, uh, they do a go around on the first round. And... Uh, and then the second time it starts to get really bad. The aircraft will not respond to the, to the flight control commands. You're turning left, it doesn't want to. She decides to purposefully crash the airplane when they're close to the ground. You know, that they're unthinkable. And she does that. And as a result, uh, six people die in that, uh, you know, in the, in the crash. And uh, this is all in chapter one. You know, and so the next day, as as you know, they start to go through the wreckage of this airplane, you know, all fingers are pointed to the, the captain, you know, and why, you know, she did it. And, uh, you know, maybe the conditions were too bad. She was over her head. Uh, you know, may, you know, why to have a, have a woman in, in place? You know, maybe she wasn't qualified at all, you know, and uh, not knowing that that she didn't cause the death of those six people but she rather saved you know the lives of the other 200 plus uh, the aircraft uh, you know the flight controls were contaminated by a virus and uh, if she had not done um, you know what she did uh, then you know uh, just a few minutes later this aircraft would have crashed at altitude and uh, over new york especially when you're going up on runway 31 uh, which means, you know, just three or four minutes after takeoff, you would be right over downtown Manhattan, you know, so the worst scenarios that was possible would have occurred. And uh, so it's a story about, uh, you know, a, a female captain that is, uh, you know, uh, desperate to prove her innocence, you know, and, and in the process of trying to do that, you know, you learn about the world of technology and corporate greed, and you learn about, you know, um, how airplanes work and the automation that has made us so dependent on it, you know, mm -hmm. and then as we start to get, you know, approach, uh, you know, the, the finale, 
Yeah, she comes face to face with the with the individual who created the virus, and there she learns that um, that there is another aircraft that is contaminated with the same virus halfway over the Atlantic, and with no chance of getting through it uh, because there's there's no place to land, uh, and their only chance, their only hope becomes becomes our captain who has to do the unthinkable, and that's climbing into a you know a small plane and then going out there. Uh, but in the process, she herself won't have enough fuel to get back. Um, so that is the story. Why a female? Uh, because uh, it, it's a difficult environment. You know, it's a difficult and you know, it's it's difficult enough, as you pointed out, stressful enough to to be involved in that business for anybody. You know, to be a captain, you're responsible for everything. If an engine explodes, you're responsible. And if you run out of toilet paper, you're responsible. <laughs> you know, uh, there really is, uh, you know, you're responsible for everything. doesn't matter what it is. So it's already a very stressful situation. So why not make it a little bit more stressful by adding all the complications of having a woman in this environment? Hmm. Aviation is very much a male-driven, uh, you know, male-dominated. It doesn't even do it justice to say male-dominated. You know, even today, 2023, only 6% of the pilots are women. They are the 94% of men. So you can imagine, you know, 10, 20. The first woman pilot, female pilot, wasn't hired until 1976. So that just tells you, you know, how dominated, male-dominated is. So for a woman to be able to go in there, and not only have to deal with the responsibilities you have, but now with the blame that would follow, you know, um, uh, you know, it's just it's 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 insane amount of pressure, and to put him in there, and and until you know Kate Gallagher is our is a protagonist man, you know, until she essentially breaks, yeah, uh, you know, but now it, it is no longer a question of you improving yourself, right or wrong. Now it's a question of going straight into into saving, you know, the other 200 plus folks that are out there with the Atlantic with no idea of what's going to happen. Um, so it, it gets, you know, it's character driven and, and then it is edge of your seat. So, uh, you know, it just <laughs> worked out that way. It yeah. came out. Pretty well, was I there... love it. Oh, you go for it, Maddie. Okay. I was just going to say, um, Cam, was there like uh, a story that inspired this to write your book was there an actual like story behind the story so to speak uh yes uh, several uh stories actually there wasn't one thing so the whole thing initiated started off by uh you know it's just starting to, 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 to depend you know when i started working for american airlines we you know most of the planes there had three pilots you know a captain co-pilot and a flight engineer you know 10 years later all of those were gone, you know, that, that so, you know, the, the flight engineer seat was removed, the panel was removed, everything became more automated. So I started thinking about how dependent we are on this automation, you know, and I chose the flight control system because it is one of the, by far the most automated of all of them. Uh, and essentially what it is, is, you know, uh, you, you still have a yoke, you still pull it, push it, turn it, just like you would, you know, in a Cessna. Um, you know, but really in, in, in fly-by-wire situations, which is almost what all airplanes now moving forward, Boeing and Airbus planes are, in fly-by-wire, really all you're doing is typing on a keyboard. You know, even the field, they have machines down there that make you feel like you're doing something when you're pulling and pushing and turning. 
But even that machine is is designed, is created to make you feel like you're doing something when really all you are doing is typing on a keyboard. So that type of dependability on computers, it makes airplanes so much safer and so much better. But in my mind, I said, well, what if you know a computer doesn't know the difference between right and wrong? A computer only knows that what it's programmed to do, as sadly evident by what happened on the 737 MAX planes, two of them, you know, when the MCAS system were telling the, 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 the pilots that the aircraft is stalling, so it's pushing the nose down. The pilots know that it's not stalling. They're trying to pull it up, but the autopilot wins because it's got a lot more resources that it's available, you know, it's available to them. So the autopilot just pushed the nose right into the ground. And, and sadly, you know, so many people perished. But that type of dependability on computer systems, you know, uh, I said, well, what if a computer is programmed to do something wrong? You know, and, uh, you know, and, and it has, doesn't know the difference between right and wrong. So that's kind of the initiation of how the story began. But lots and lots of situations where, uh, you know, you were talking to people. I flew with some of the best people that I've flown with. There were, there were female pilots, uh, you know, and then seeing, you know, what it's like and, and yeah, you know, what, what their world is like and how much more difficult it is to just deal with what they have to deal with. Uh, so not any one in, you know, incident. If there was one incident, it's one that, you know, I'm, I'm just, just, Decades ago, you know, there were there were centerfold pictures in the cockpit when it was just almost almost 100 percent male. And we had a woman, a flight engineer, come in one time and we were doing an all nighter red eye. And the other pilot reached out and pulled out one of these pictures looking at it. And, you know, and very quickly, we all realized how how, how uh, out of place that was. So we didn't even know it. So we quickly, you know, folded away, put it away. The, the, the female flight engineer we had was very courteous. She had been in it. She understood it. And she just, just sort of, you know, waved it away. But all night long on the way to uh, to Kennedy, I was thinking, how weird did we make this situation for her by just not even thinking about it? You know, that she not only has to do her job and all of that, but now she has, you know, this thing to deal with. And then by the time I landed, I said, now this, this character has to be a female, you know, because the odds are so against them. And, when the time comes that, you know, uh, you know, you, you finally, you know, the payoff, it's going to feel so much better. And those were it. I think it's a, <laughs> give you a little longer answer than you expected, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. Well, I feel like you could all say it till we're blue in the face, but I really don't think it's represented enough. The struggle that female aviators go through. Um, it's extremely challenging and, for you to write that story about her. I love that. So thank you for sharing. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know, I came from a family of four brothers. And uh, so, and I'm ended up in a family of all females. So, you know, my <laughs> wife and then two daughters, you know, got a bird and a dog. I mean, there's, you know, estrogen through the roof over here. Um, <laughs> So I, 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 
but but in in raising two two daughters and in in living that world that was so different from the world that I grew up in, man, I came to recognize the challenges that are out there. I came to recognize the the, the expectations that people have, you know, uh, and then and and, the, and I and I hit myself over the head for not understanding it all those years, just seeing things from you know my point of view, a male's point of view. Of course, that's the way it is, but yeah. it's not, you know, uh, the the. You know, I've flown with some amazing pilots that were female, and I've flown with some that were not so great. Same as the men. You know, I've flown with you know guys that were great and and some that were not. There's just no difference that I could point to. I can't say one is better than the other or worse in a general term. Um, you know, but but you know, the, I, I know that they have it a lot more. It's just more difficult. Yeah. I mean, apparently in all, every industry, but certainly in aviation, certainly in the cockpit, you know, I don't know what it's like as a, you know, as a gate agent or, you know, something to be out there, but I'm sure they've got their share of, you know, issues, but, you know, in the cockpit, when, you know, six out of a hundred pilots are female today, in 2023, and that's gotta be hard. Especially, you know, I think my generation still, I was not necessarily raised, but just the way that I grew up, it's it's still incredibly hard for me. I had to learn how to speak up, even though some of the things that I wanted to speak up about, like felt wrong or felt dumb, like especially throughout my training, um, it was hard for me to sit next to somebody who was so much older and wiser and, you know, a grown man. And I kept looking at myself as little old me. And I had to grow out of that really fast because I'd step into that, you know, cockpit with somebody who wasn't paying attention. And even though they were older, they weren't wiser. And if it weren't for me speaking up and speaking my mind, even though it was just like full body cringe to do so, who knows? The situation could have gone so bad. But I think a lot of women experience that. It's it's difficult to be in such a close proximity to another man. It's just, it's intimate, no matter who it is. So it's it's definitely different. Um, It's different for girls. But I, again, I appreciate you for touching on that. And being a girl dad definitely changes like the the realm of how you view women i think at least at least for most people i would hope it really changes the way you look at that and that whole aspect um my fiance has a much younger little sister and he he always tells me he's just like i don't know it just really changed my viewpoint like the way that i see womanhood and the way that i see women just in their existence is so completely different so I know that being a girl dad definitely has to help, but we love girl dads around here. Girl dads are the best. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, it's, uh, you know, in my world, uh, again, I, it just wasn't something that I thought about. It just wasn't, you know, wasn't, you know, till, till I, you know, had daughter number one. In fact, I still remember, you know, we are in the ultrasound, uh, one of those sessions and uh, the doctor says, do you want to know the sex of your, your child? And I'm saying, and I verbally said this, I said, uh, yeah, it's a boy. I know it's a boy. We just come from a family of boys. And she said, well, do you want to know it or not? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so in a child number two, I wasn't nearly as cocky. You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, but yes, you're right. It's just the environment is so different. So take a triple seven, 300. Okay. Uh, you got a bunk bed upset, you know, upstairs and you have, uh, you got two business class seats and you got two beds. Um, and, and you, you know, for, I wasn't that airplane for 15 years. 
So when the time comes to take a rest, you just go up and you pass out till somebody calls you and you go back and start your job again. Well, one of my last flights, um, you know, the, the first officer was a female. Went and did the same exact thing, you know, and then as I'm laying down there, I'm thinking to myself, you know, she's laying down right next to me. You know, we're separated. There's a separator between us, but, uh, you know, that it comes out, you know, just not complete separator, but just comes up to you like your, your waist or something. You know, and I'm saying I'm, I'm laying down here with, with, you know, and this feels a little strange for me, you know, uh, to be out here. How the heck is she feeling right now? You know, because this is the first time that I had a female first officer in a while, uh, you know, that, that's out there. But, so, well, but for her, this is every single leg. You know, every leg she has to do this. Um, you know, so you get again, it's nothing. It's extremely professional It's and it's wonderful the way it is. But I can't imagine that there's not this nagging voice in the back of your head going, this is odd. Yeah, you know, in a tiny <laughs> yeah. room next, you know, three inches away from the next guy, separated by a piece of plastic. You know, what if I snore? <laughs> you know, what if you know? And I'm not talking about anything else. You know, what if you just, you know, for thinking, me, I would be like, what if I pass gas? <laughs> well, believe me, that thought came to mind too. <laughs> you know, when you're doing a 12 hour flight, you know, this was a six. This was Delhi. We were going to Delhi, and she was wonderful, so professional, so good. But it was, you know, you're still going out there, and you know, it's just, it is a, it is a, it's a different environment. It just is, is far more difficult for them. Yeah. So we spoke a lot about like all the difficulties and just the amount of stress and all the challenging, the moving parts of being an airline pilot. But was there anything about that that you didn't initially realize that you realized pretty early on? You were like, oh this is not something I expected or this is something I didn't see in the job description. Uh, every day. Uh, and I mean, every day, every flight, there was something new. Uh, every week, every month, there was something, you know, wild and new, um, you know, and, and so, yeah. So whether, whether it's, you know, events related, you know, nine 11 changed the way we live in the cockpit, you know, it changed the way we looked at every single thing in the cockpit. Um, you know, COVID was after that, you know, uh, just, just whether it was events like that or just normal things. When you have, you know, hundreds of people sitting behind you, you know, in a tube, uh, things happen. Mm-hmm. You know, there could be arguments and fights. There could be, you know, uh, the good events. I had, you know, one time, you know, when, uh, you know, we were told that, uh, you know, the uh, we were on the halfway to Hawaii. We, we were told that, you know, there's such and such person on your flight. And, you know, uh, let them know that, you know, you got somebody sitting in seat 17C. They're on the way for the uh, memorial for their son. Turned out son two days earlier or, you know, a week or so earlier was, you know, on a uh, on a canoe. Uh, and then the current pulled him out in Hawaii. And he had enough cell phone left to make one last call that he's lost. For seven days, they looked for him. They couldn't find him and they assumed that he's dead. Well, we've taken the parents, the mom and the daughters, the sisters back in there for the memorial and, and they find the son while we're doing that. And he was alive, barely, but he wow. was alive. And so we get a phone call that, you know, we want you to go back there and tell this woman that uh, her son is alive. And so, uh, you know, uh, we call it, you know, one of the flight attendants and two of them came into the cockpit. We told them that they were running over each other trying to get back there to make the news, you know, to tell them. Oh. so. 
my, my point is it was it was a wonderful wonderful day uh but again you know very unique event that you know sticks in mind but man there was there was things that happened all the time things that you that hadn't happened before uh or or you know uh things that you didn't expect um but your job was you know very you know very well defined my job is to get this from point a to point b from the time they close the you know the door to the time they open it back up you know it's my job to see this through it doesn't matter what comes through it whether it is like i said you know a mechanical failure of some kind or you know simply toilets won't flush i mean we had a we had an emergency landing because they forgot to service the toilets and well uh, <laughs> you think about it you know yeah. i mean i've got 250 people this was this was just boston to la and um 767 and uh, the toilets were all filled i got 250 people on this airplane you know that that's an emergency you know it's got nothing to do with nothing but it's an emergency (laughs) so we ended up declaring an emergency and then changing places landing somewhere where they could service the bathrooms um but whatever it is you know it's 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 stuff that generally you can define with with just pure logic um and then sort through it and i think that's the kind of people that they're looking for they're not looking for geniuses when they hire you know airline pilots they're looking for people that can solve problems and can multitask you know at the same time because while you are dealing with whatever you got to deal with you know you still got to deal you know fly the airplane you still got to you know deal with weather and all the other issues that are out there um so yeah that was uh it's new and it's different, you know, all the time. And then that's one of the things that made it fun, incidentally. You know, it was never, no two trips were ever alike. Um, so you kept I, you on your toes. I was just um, fascinated. Like you're explaining like all of these things that are happening. And, and my husband is also a captain for an airline as well. But I always feel like when you think about it, the flying for you guys is probably the easiest part it's all of the other things that you have to balance like you said like the labs being out and like dealing with all these passengers that tends to be like the more stressful part of the environment Uh, it really is i mean if you had to narrow down you know stresses you know the physical stress is more much more than the mental stress the mental stress is just you know generally ours is just boredom you know, massive amounts of boredom, but you always have to be ready for the worst case that can happen. What they say is, you know, hours of boredom punched by a few moments of sheer terror. That's the airline Mm -hmm. pilot's job. Uh, But the physical stresses on your body, time zones, uh, you know, especially like a triple seven. So I'm like, every time you strap that airplane to your butt, I mean, you're going through a minimum of eight time zones. Um, You know, I used to tell people, uh, you know, most of our flights to London from L.A., left around 6 p.m and he got there around 6 a.m body time uh you know which was you know five o'clock four o'clock five o'clock their time so by the time most people are waking up to a cup of coffee and a bowl of cereal you know i got a shish kebab and a beer in my hands uh you know and it's just that it messes you up you don't know if you're tired if you're hungry you know um you know your sleep is certainly you're there for 20 hours 22 hours so you're exhausted as heck, but you fall down and you sleep for a few hours, but body time, that's you no know, noon now. And now you got to get up, <laughs> you know, it's just, so the physical stress is, is, is quite a bit, especially as you go fly, you know, horizontally to, uh, 
through the latitudes, through time zones. It just becomes uh, so much more difficult. Mental stress, um, again, you know, it's not that much unless things go wrong and unless there is, you know, weather or problems in the cabin, uh, you know, uh, but but again, I guess I guess even boredom could be a mental stress, or even you know if you're in the cockpit, you know, with just one other person, even on a sixteen-hour flight, you only there's only two of you there for ninety-five percent of the time. You know, if you like the guy, great, you can talk. If you don't like the guy, or if he doesn't like you, or something, you know, personalities are always different. Now imagine being locked up in a you know in a eight foot by eight foot room with somebody that you don't like, you know, for eight hours. Uh, you know, and then I have to do that back again tomorrow. Uh, it goes by slow, I'm sure. It, it goes by slow. Uh, and again, that, that, that happens when you have 15,000 pilots. Most times you're flying with somebody you've never met before, especially during times when, you know, events are, I mean, look at how polarized everybody is. So in the cockpit, isn't yeah. that different, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's, but everybody's professional. Thankfully, everybody still, you know, understands that it's about doing your job and getting to the other side. Uh, but yes, there are, absolutely, there are stresses uh, that, that affect you, affect your performance, yeah. affect your life. Is there anything like in particular that you've kind of carried with you throughout your career just to take care of your mental and physical health? A lot of stuff that you try, whether it's meditation or, you know, writing books was one of the, one of my outlets. You know, pilots are very, very clever people. So if I ever had a question about something, whether it work or not, I would run the scenario by, you know, somebody and they always had some creative answer to, you know, something that works. Uh, so you did that. But generally speaking, um, the, uh, the pilot's life, especially on the, you know, physical and mentally, it's very stressful. Uh, you know, the average American Airlines pilot's age is only 76, which is significantly lower than the average age of, of uh, you know, an American right now yeah. uh, living. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, generally has been a high rate of suicides, uh, you know, because there is just, you're used to a certain type of personality that's you sort of a lead personality, a charge taking personality. And if for some reason, you know, uh, in your home life or, you know, something personally, something has happened that, that has taken away part of that from you. That, that's, that's a problem uh, for a lot of people. Um, and so, you know, whether it's, you know, economy or health or whatever, you know, uh, you, you're dealing with every issue that anybody else is dealing with on top of the physical, uh, you know, challenges that are in your body, like time zones, like meals, you know, you're not going to eat what you want to eat and you're not going to eat it when you want to eat it. You know, you eat it when the food is served. You can ask for a food, you know, half hour later or half hour earlier, but it's not like, you know, uh, it's breakfast time or it's lunch time. You know, the, the meals, everything is designed for passengers who are now there to get used to the new time zone, not to the guy who's going to turn around and come back 20 hours later, mm. you know, uh, but yeah. you're going to eat that. In other words, you're going to eat, you know, uh, you, you land, you know, you're going to eat breakfast, uh, you know, versus, you know, when, when it's lunchtime, when you're landing where you are. So there are there are challenges that are out there. But again, having said all of that, uh, you know, I can safely say I, I have met thousands of pilots in my life, thousands. And uh, I, I don't know one who would take it back, one who regretted flying, one who, you know, I, I, I don't know one who would 
uh, have done it any differently than than they did. So yeah. it's one of those things, man. Once you're hooked, you're hooked. <laughs> It's a hard life, but it's, it seems it's so worth it. I mean, I grew up with it and it was such a big part of my family. It's like, it really does embody your entire life. Um, So I can only imagine what it's like when you either retire or God forbid you lose your medical, which is more common than not, as we know on this podcast. Um, It, it can be really, really hard for people to adjust to that. I watched my dad go through it. It was it was just hard. Um, so yeah, I can't even imagine people who get into this, they love it. But my last question for you, because I feel like we've covered literally everything and more that I wanted to talk to you today with. But one thing I, the last thing I wanted to touch on with you, Cam, was our conversation that we had prior to recording really resonated with me. I kind of explained to you that I have my instrument rating and I'd love to get my commercial, but the time and money just doesn't seem to be there. And you gave me some really great words of wisdom. So what would you tell a student pilot who is listening right now, if they're contemplating their next step in aviation due to cost, time, money, family situation, like what inspiration would you invoke or pass on to that person? Well, a couple of things. Number one, in the history of aviation, commercial aviation, and I'm talking about, you know, something, you know, approaching a century, there has never been a better time to be an airline pilot than right now, right here. Uh, the, 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 and there are so many factors that, that, you know, it's a perfect storm, the good storm, you know, it's a perfect spring, if you want to call it, you know, um, how fast you're going to move up in your seats, how much money you're going to make, uh, you know, the, the retirements, you know, what, you know, what chances that you have of getting hired, uh, how much safer the environment is, you know, how much better the training is, the equipment is, uh, how many places you get to go, all the things that you get to see, nothing in this process, nothing in a, almost a hundred years of, of, you know, uh, of, of aviation, you know, on an industry level, on a, on a commercial level, nothing, there has never, ever been a time when everything has been aligned so well as it is today. So that's the first thing. So, you know, put that on the side and then, you know, because it's just, it's perfect time, you know, to, to want to do this. Now, uh, having said that, it's also not life for not, it's not a life for everybody. You know, you are not going to be home at five o'clock for dinner. Uh, you'll never be home at five o'clock for dinner, you know, uh, if you're flying, you know. Uh, and so if you are the type that wants to be home at five o'clock for dinner or, you know, Thanksgiving has to be on Thanksgiving and Christmas has to be on Christmas, you know, it's maybe a more difficult job for you, at least while you're junior. Now, you know, five, 10, 15 years into a career, as you become senior enough, you can, you know, choose better. But we don't, we go to work when we go to work, you know, uh, it's not when everybody else goes to work. That's why most pilots don't worry about traffic, you know, and, and distance or even where they live. Most, you know, I, I know people that commute from across the world. You have a pilot that commuted from Paris to Los Angeles, one that commuted from uh, Seattle to Tokyo, you know, to fly. Um, so there is, there's, People do, you know, it, it, so it's difficult life in some ways, but if you are hooked on this, if you, if this is something you wanted to do, man, you absolutely should do it. Is it expensive? Yes, it is. I, I don't know what the expenses are now, but I know there are many, many ways 
uh, to pay for it, whether it is some kind of a you know student loan or like I did, simply a bank loan. I went to the bank. I told the guy what I wanted to do. Happened to be the loan officer, was an old pilot himself. And he says, oh, man, I feel you. And here it is. Uh, but again, the amount of money you're going to make, you know, in, in your first year, you know, in your first five years, it's way, way will make that will make that worthwhile. Whatever it is that you're spending on it, you know, it won't be a, it won't be a fraction of what you're able to do in this career. Um, so, you know, if, if anybody is thinking about doing it, you know, my suggestion would be just reach into yourself and find out how bad you want to do it. Whether you you are okay with the fact that it is, you know, uh, that it is a, it's a life that's going to be different than most people's, you know, that you may not be there the first, you know, 10 Christmases because you have to work, you know, uh, or whatever it is that I just explained. Um, yeah. And if you, but if, if you can get past that, uh, I mean, you would be insane not to jump on it, both feet. There are places like Embry-Riddle that will take you from, from day one to day last, you know, in a program that is designed to just take you step by step by step to where you don't you know, waste time and effort and money. And just about guarantees you a job by the time you get to the end. Um, it wasn't like that when we did it. It wasn't like that when I did it. You know, it was, you know, you, you just hoped and you, you, you did whatever the heck you did. You went wherever you had to go. You did, flew whatever you had to fly. And, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I, I did, you know, dumb things. I did things that, you know, would be considered, you know, idiotic today just to make a buck and to stay in the business. You don't have to do any of that today, you know? Uh, and if you're thinking about it, you know, and that, man, do it because there is nothing like, you know, I always said the saddest four words, uh, you know, in, in, in English language is I wish I had, um, you know, not, not, not something that you want to be saying, you know, as, as a gray hair setting. Uh, but that was, you know, it, it really is, is, a, is a, it's a fantastic time to do it. You can go more places than ever before, uh, safer than ever before, make a ton of money, progress, and, and, and just enjoy it. Yeah. I think those are wise words to leave off on. Thank you so much, Cam. So where can our listeners find you or your book? Uh, so this is Cam Maj, K-A-M-M-A-J-D. That's my first and last name. Uh, put a dot com on the end of it. I'll take you to my website. And uh, from there, you can go anywhere. Actually, you know, the book is called High Wire, the first one. Second one's coming out shortly, uh, Silent Voices. Um, but High Wire is available, you know, anywhere. You know, just Amazon, you know, Barnes & Noble, all the, uh, uh, you know. All, all the book, places. all the bookstores. <laughs> yeah, all the bookstores, essentially, yes. Uh, me earlier when you asked me about the the podcast where can you find the podcast i'm like ah oh, actually now that you come to think about it where do they where yeah. can you listen to a podcast yeah exactly all right well i will definitely lick everything in the podcast notes and description below so if anyone didn't get it the first time you will definitely be able to just click a link and get right to it i know i'm excited to be able to read your book it's on my list um i'm trying to get back into reading i've gotten back into a lot of good things i've gotten like back into a good exercise routine books are next but we're starting a book club with me and my girlies here in charleston so maybe it'll get added into our little book club mix it'll be that'll be my book of for my month <laughs> oh, 
Wonderful. Uh, all right. Well, again, thank you so much, Cam. And thank you everyone for tuning in and listening with us this week. As you all know, remember to keep the blue side up and the brown side down. See y'all.